Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. This morning, we're in Psalm 27, and uh, we're at the start of Psalm 27, and this is, I think, our 11th, I think our 11th message in the Psalms, and uh, I've been absolutely loving it. I hope you've found uh, encouragement and, and others, everything else that God could do through His Word in your life. And so but let, let's pray, and then let's read Psalm 27, verse 4. Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you that when you once dwelt behind a curtain in a temple, but now you dwell in us. By Jesus Christ ripping the, 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 the curtain of the, of the temple, the holiest of holies, at that point of giving up his life, he instigated a new opportunity for us to be in connection, in intimacy, and in relationship deeply with you, and that we could become your dwelling place. And what an incredible thing that is. Father God, we, 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 we're in awe of that. We, we're mesmerized by that truth. And I pray this morning that the reality of that would come and hit hard home to our hearts again this morning as we realize that we are the dwelling place of God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let me read to you Psalm 27 verse 4. Uh, and I am breaking from tradition and reading the Passion Translation. All right, here we go. It says this. Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with Him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer, in my every prayer. And I want to focus in this morning on this bit that says, I want the privilege of living every moment in his house. You see, his house, God's house. When David wrote this, because David is the author who penned Psalm 27, he realized that the house of God was at that time a, a, a tent known as the tabernacle. And the Ark of the Covenant was the, 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 the symboliza symbolization or symbol of God's presence. And the Ark was kept in a tent. Now, David went after and re restored and returned the Ark from the Philistines who had taken the Ark from the people of Israel. And he brought it back and he realized that, that God's presence is too great to dwell in an Ark, in, in a tent, excuse me. Too, it, it needed something greater, something grander. And, and David loved God's presence so much that he wanted to give it a home worthy of the presence of God. He wanted to build him a house that was worthy of the presence of God. You can already see where this message is going. David wanted to build a house worthy of the presence of God. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 to 3. It says, that Now when the king David lived in his house and the Lord, that the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king David, that is, said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so David set about a plan and prepared to build a temple worthy for God to dwell. The temple was extravagant. It was awe-inspiring. They spared no expense. The temple came at great cost, both personal 
cost and sacrifice. It cost. To build the temple worthy for the presence of God came at great cost. How much cost do you think? The gold and silver alone used in Solomon's temple, as it was called. King David drew up the plans. King David had the, had the plan, but he didn't get to finish building the house. His son Solomon finished building the temple. But listen to this. The gold and the silver alone in Solomon's temple was worth 216 billion, 603 million, 576 thousand dollars. 216 billion, 603 million, 576 thousand dollars. And that doesn't include precious metals, bronze, iron, ivory, seed, all the other things that we use to build the temple. That's the silver and gold alone, people. <laughs> Come on, that temple was to say that you are worthy of a house, you are worthy of a dwelling place, worthy of your presence. They were making sure that they spared no expense in making sure that God's presence was honored and, and, and was, was built, the house was built worthy of his presence. And I just think that this morning that this, come on, is an expression of holiness. It's an expression of holiness. 2 Samuel 7 verse 8 says, So now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. So David knew the salvation of God. David knew the goodness of God. David knew the purpose of God. He knew from pasture to prince. He knew from shepherd to king. He knew it. And his response was, Since you've saved me, since you've redeemed me, since you've taken my life, from the hands of the enemy, restored me from the cave to the castle. Since you've done all this, God, my response of that salvation was to honor you by creating a dwelling place fit for you. I thought they'd get a response. My, my heart was to honor you because you saved me and I want to make a home, a dwelling place fit for you, was David's response. That's holiness. That's holiness. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in an ark. God dwelt in a tabernacle. God dwelt in a temple. But in the New Testament, God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. You are His dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Uh. My favorite chapter of the Bible is John 14. I've made that, I've said that a lot. I'll keep saying John 14. I could just, oh, I love John 14. Listen to this, this is verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, this is the words of Jesus, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit of God, Holy Spirit. It's not the junior varsity member of the Trinity. He's not little Jesus, little God. He's not the little, he's just not little God. He is God. He is God eternal. And Jesus said, it's better for me in John 14 that I go and be with my father so that he can come. It's better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come and inhabit your life and invade your heart and transform your life from the inside out. How cool is this? 
Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, go and wait for the Spirit of God because you'll receive power from on high when the Spirit of God comes upon you and then you'll become my powerful witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And he also says in John 17, or 15, excuse me, we can do nothing apart from him. Man, we need the Spirit, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit. Come on, I would thank God that C3 is a Holy Spirit-empowered movement that craves and longs for the power and the presence of God to move through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're a Spirit-filled people, and I'm so grateful for that. But this is such a picture of holiness. Come on, your life gets to declare the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. The goodness, greatness, wonder, and awe of God. Come on, this is, the, de- the definition of holiness is to be consecrated, dedicated, set apart, purified. The theological term of this is sanctification, to be sanctified. Listen to what this one theologian, Bradford A. Mullen, good on you, Bradford, that's a good name. Bring the Bradford, Bradford, hey, what a name. Very American Brad, isn't it? Oh, Brad. Not Bradley, Bradford. I wonder how old Bradford is. Anyway. I'm getting sidetracked. Go on, you, Mr. Mullen. Let's go. This is what he says. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by the designer. A pen is sanctified when used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to the God's design and purpose. This is the idea of holiness, that you would live out your life as God had intended and purposed for you to do so. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And delight not, must not be left off that. You are to glorify God in your delight of Him and your passionate following of Him and your pursuit of Him and that your life will shout to the glory of God as you believe that He is above all things. As David said, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more I desire than your presence. Hmm. <laughs> To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by the designer. I love this. Come on. Come on. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in a heart that's satisfied by Him. He doesn't want your white-knuckled obedience out of obligation. He wants you to delight in Him. He wants a desire for for Him and for His people and for His purpose, for His kingdom to well up out of you. That it should, that He doesn't want. Now, there are times where it's a sacrificial obedience. I get that. I get that in serving and ministry and life, there are times when you've got to do what you know you ought to do. Maybe you don't even have the desire to do it, but you do it anyway. That's called discipline, and it's a good thing. Let's not just follow our feelings. Just because I don't feel like doing something doesn't mean I ought to do it or vice versa. Amen. Our feelings don't dictate our obedience. Our feelings shouldn't dictate our decision making. We can validate our feelings, but then we need to understand what is right and wrong. So sometimes there is a sacrificial obedience, but oh, wouldn't it be great? I understand that sometimes in a marriage, 
You've got to understand that you've, you, you might not feel this, that, the other, but you've got what to do because you've got to do it. But imagine if, imagine if the, only, the only reason I did good things for Bex or wanted to date Bex or, 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 or say kind words is because I'm obligated because I'm, a, I'm her husband. I'm obligated to do it. I've got to do it. I made that vow in front of all of our fam- friends and family. So I better do this thing. It's what I'm supposed to do as her husband. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a great relationship, is it? Much more that I see this beautiful woman who, I don't know what she sees in me, blows my mind that she would love me. I know me. She chooses to love me. She chooses to, to let me into the most intimate parts of her world. She chooses to spend the rest of her life with me through thick or through thin. And I'm in awe and wonder of the beautiful thing that God has created right in front of me. And I want to treasure it and nurture it and be, and be with her forever. And I want, to, I want to have joy and wonder. And I want to... You know, I just, come on, this is a, there's a want and a longing and a desire. Come on, wouldn't it be great if we longed and wanted and desired? Like when Bex is saying, be here for 10 o'clock prayer, that shouldn't be a hard thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to create condemnation, but come on, we should be longing. We should be longing for that sort of stuff. Oh man, if you're there, God, oh, that's where I want to be. I want to be there. If your presence is there, I want to be there. It's not, it's not going to be a hard thing. It's not hard for me to get there because I know that your presence is in that place and I long, like David does, for your presence. Hmm. Come on, we are made, designed, purpose for relationship with God. This is the create, this is your whole rhythm. Come on, and the greater the depth of relationship, the greater your depth of joy will be, and the greater your life will display Him. You've got to understand that the deeper you will go into relationship with God, the deeper you'll find your sense of joy. Un, unshakable joy, as the Bible says. Joy that cannot be touched by circumstance. Who wants that kind of joy? Who wants a kind of joy that no matter what life throws at you, you have got an anchor into something that circumstances can't touch. This is the benefit of relationship with God. I love Eugene Peterson, uh, who wrote the message uh, Bible and, and penned a lot of other things. But he says this about discipleship. He says, discipleship is described by, as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. So family, we have a choice every day. Every day we have a choice, obedience or disobedience, to draw close to God or draw away from God, to find those things that will, get, that will to put those things into our world that will draw us to Him, which will stir our affection for Him, or to add those things to our world which will diminish our affection for Him, numb us and, 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 and cause us to be swept away with the care of this world. And, uh, and I, I'm just asking, come on, you Friends, let's choose the things in our world that are going to stir your affection for God. We have a choice. Our choices create the heading of our life. They set the course in our choices. Where is our choices leading us? We should always ask this question. What is the uh, trajectory of these choices that I'm making? Romans 12 in the message, verses 1 and 2 says this. So here... It's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. I want to I emphasize that. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Acknowledging God 
in whatever moment you face, that he's for you, that he's working together good for you, that he's doing something in the situation right now, embracing the fact that God is in it, is the best thing you can do. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into whatever you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, Paul continues to say, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Come on, the writer is exhorting us that our response to the grace, mercy, and love of God should be to move away from the things that would diminish the presence of God in your life. Hmm. To move away from the things that would quench his presence. That would stand in opposition to his presence. Towards things that would host his presence. Increase his presence. That our lives would be worshipped. That the love of Jesus would be painted on the canvas of our life for all to see. This is the hope of Paul when he writes to the Romans. This is hope for us today. So as I said just before, let's ask two questions. What stirs my affection for Jesus? What are the things that, when I incorporate them into my life, the things that, when I make time and space for these things, they, they stir my affection for Jesus. I feel my love for Him growing, increasing. I feel closer to Him. What are these things for you? And I love the fact that God wires us all differently. And so they might be different things for you than for me, but we all have things. Maybe it's getting out in nature. Maybe it's having a, a great coffee and a chat with a good friend. Maybe, it's, maybe it's, 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 it's sitting some time aside to dig into God's Word. Maybe it's listening to podcasts, time in prayer. Uh, numerous, numerous things, right? There are just so many things that could stir your affection. Maybe it's getting out to a conference and setting aside time at a conference and soaking in an, an extended period of time with God. Uh, maybe it's all of the above uh, to different various degrees. Why don't we make sure that we're focusing and prioritizing those things that stir your affection for Him? But there's a second question, isn't there? What are the things in life that rob me of my affection for Jesus? What are things... See, good things that become ultimate things, good things that become God things become bad things. You can have really good things in your life, but when they start to take a place that they ought not to have in your life, when they start to become priority, they can start to rob you and dull you of your affection for the one that ought to have priority. What are the things that rob you of your affection? Busyness, tiredness, you know? Could be practical things. I mean, the... I love that, that everything is spiritual, down to the practical. Late nights, not drinking enough water, not eating enough good food, <laughs> can get you into a place of being easily affected by life circumstances and get you down, get you anxious. All sorts of things, right? But what in your life robs you of affection? I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Jesus, this was the heart of Paul. May it be our heart. At Disciple Makers Conference a few years ago, uh, one of the guest ministers was Paul Scanlon, uh, and uh, he said this, which 
really stirred my heart. He re- and, and, and so I want to read it to you. Uh, I want to read it to you, church family. Uh, listen to this. This is Paul Scanlon. He says, God doesn't measure churches by attendance. God weighs them of how much Jesus there is in the church. You can't count, you can't count that at all. In fact, if you've got, um, you got that track, Matthew, that'd be fantastic. And I just want to say, can we just uh, give these guys at the back a big hand of applause and just thank them for what they're doing? So good. God doesn't measure churches by attendance. God weighs them of how much Jesus there is in the church. You can't count that at all. But God has a way of weighing them. He says, and the church can be 20,000 and the Holy Spirit's crying. Or it could be 20 and the Holy Spirit's dancing up the aisle. He says, I think we've settled for a false reading of what God's interested in and we've built something else that we've called the church, but I'm not sure that it is. Carried on to talk a little bit more about that. But it got me thinking about this idea of a Jesus meter. That God's weighing us by how much Jesus, how much Jesus, how much of our affection, how much of our life, how much of our thought, how much of our passion. Where is the Jesus meter? in my life. It's easy to talk about churches, but I'd prefer to talk about individuals. Me. How much Jesus is there in me? Where am I at? If I was weighed on this measure, how much Jesus would there be? Because you see, I'm convinced that the outcome of holiness is more Jesus. I'm convinced that the outcome of more holiness is more Jesus. I'm convinced that as we create a life where He dwells, more of Him will be evident, more of Him will be on display, more of Him will be seen as we commit our lives to the very cause and the very purpose that we were designed for, to be a dwelling place, a house, a life, to house the presence of God, that you would commune with Him, dwell with Him, and it would overflow to those around you. I'm convinced that as we move into more holiness, being made more into the image and creation that we're designed for, we'd see more Jesus. I'm convinced. And come on, what the world needs... What you need is more of Him. David recognized this. He, he, he's, this is the whole heart of Psalm 27. There's no greater place I want to be than in your presence. And I want to honor your presence by making a dwelling place for it that is worthy of of it. Friends, God is calling us today to make a dwelling place of your life worthy for the presence of God, worthy for Jesus Christ, a dwelling place, your heart, your life, worthy of the cause and passion of Jesus Christ. It's what He's calling me to. It's what He's calling you to. I read this statement. It's a, it's full on. <laughs> says this, you can be committed to church and not committed to Jesus. It's possible. Church 
can be very attractional. It offers community, a place of belonging. Very, I'm glad it does. Who's glad for community? Who's glad to have a place of belonging? I certainly am. But you can, can be committed to church because of what it brings into your life and be not committed to Jesus Christ and following Him. It's possible. But you cannot be committed to Jesus and not committed to His church. Try it. Try to love Him with all of your being and not love the thing that He died for. Try loving Him with all your being and not committing to the very purpose of what he called, what he died for, the very purpose and nature of what he chose to say, this is my method, this is the way I'm going to reach, my kingdom is going to go forth through this methodology, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. <laughs> Try loving him and not loving what he loves. It's impossible. You become like who you hang around. He loves the church. He loved, he gave his life up. He, he said, this is what I, I mean, he's so passionate. Not just that you would know him, but that you would build a, a house with him, a dwelling place for others to find a sense of belonging. That's what we wear, a spiritual home. We're a spiritual home where God is building a dwelling place to draw other people into it, and you get to be a part of it. And when you bring your heart full of Jesus to the bear, all of a sudden it spills out, and more people are drawn, and the house grows, and more people come in. And that is what we're up to, C3 Wellington. Yeah. We're about building a dwelling place in your life and committing to building a dwelling place here, God's house, that others would come and find a place of belonging and find the very presence of God for them as well. Who's with me there? So David had a passion for the house of God. David had a passion to build a place that God could be seen, that God could be worshipped, that God could be adored. That God could be communed with, that God could be connected with. That he wanted to build a house that people could come and, 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 and find God. He had a passion for the house of God. Friends, do you have a passion for the house of God? I'm just telling you, as your passion for Jesus rises, your passion for His house will rise too. You'll love what He loves. Hmm. You'll notice that we have all for Jesus on the screens. It's our hope, right? That one person is elevated above everything else. That Je that's Jesus. We want all roads to lead to him and from him. He is our passion. He is our pursuit. He is our message. We don't ever want to let the message of Jesus fall from our lips. But my hope for you is this, that Jesus would be your deepest delight, highest treasure and greatest pursuit. That when people come into this house, they would sense something in the atmosphere. Jesus. That they would experience something. Jesus. That maybe through love or generosity, acceptance, honor, family, but whatever, they will feel a sense of Jesus and they would find something. And that is a home. A place. There's something about we've just been away and we've just gone and picked up our kids. And two of our, two of our boys have been at friends. One still is. We're picking them up today. But we picked up Ezra last night and... He had a great time staying at his friend's house. Had a great time. But you know when you're at someone else's house, you got to mind your manners, figure out how they do life, you know. It's, it's, and there was just something, you could just see there was such an excitement to come home. 
there was such a, a sigh of relief just to come home. Home offers a place of rest, of familiarity, of being known. Something so special about home. Come on, we want to find people, we want people to find a home here in C3. David loved God so much that he built his temple, built him a temple to dwell in, a temple worthy of the presence of God, a temple that came at great cost, a temple that many people were able to encounter the presence of God through. And God wants us to do the same in you and me. And he's calling to you this through holiness. He's calling you to Jesus. Church, let's stand. Thank you.